Hey guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship. And on today's podcast, I wanted to answer a question that I get asked pretty regularly, which is, Colin, what are some things that you wish you would have known when you started your advantage play career? And, uh, you know, people want to know so they could avoid the mistakes that I made. And rather than just simply answering it with the things that I thought of, I threw this question out to a handful of my professional advantage player friends and said, hey, you know, what comes to mind for you? And they were kind enough to record it and send it back to me. And so this is going to be a collection of both, uh, you know, my own opinions and thoughts, as well as uh, a few of my advantage play friends. So let's get right into it, starting with number one. The first thing I wish I would have known is that a 99% accurate card counter is likely not a winning card counter. Maybe break even, I don't know. But the point is when I started out, I made pretty much every mistake in the book. I was massively overbanging my bankroll and it's, it's practically a miracle I didn't go bust. If I hadn't teamed up within a month with my first teammate who had more bankroll money than I did and we were able to combine forces. If it hadn't been for that, I'm sure I would have run out of money. Secondly, I didn't even know how different rules or deck penetration or rounds per hour affect things. So I just played all games the same. And it turns out later when I got betting software, some of the casinos I was playing with the bet spread I was using and the rules deck penetration they offered were like break even games. I was basically gambling there for, you know, maybe a hundred hours of play over the first six months of my career. And here's another example. This is kind of an embarrassing story, but uh, I, I read in Sanford Wong's book, I can't remember which, I think it's Blackjack Secrets, but he talks about a dealer giving you a tell as to what their whole card is based on their body language or facial expression, something like that. And I actually thought I could read dealer's tells and only to discover, you know, a couple months in that the dealer was using a whole card reader that doesn't actually reveal the value of the card. So I, I was making up some sort of tell that the, that the dealer was giving me that, that was, you know, completely fabricated in my head. All that to say, I made so many mistakes, but probably my biggest mistake was wasting hundreds of hours at the tables with a poor game. If, if I wasn't a losing player, I was at best a break-even player for probably the first couple hundred hours in the casino. And to be honest with you guys, my results, you know, match up with that. It it was probably, I don't know, 200 hours before I actually started winning any money. And uh, fortunately, I had teammates or at least a teammate, uh, you know, a month in, Ben, and he, he basically carried us the first three months. And then, you know, my game got better. Things flipped. He started losing, not because his game was bad, but just because of variance. And I started winning by then. But, you know, it, it actually took him finally testing me out. Like I kept bugging him to, to deal to me. He finally did. And, you know, I had all sorts of mistakes and that helped me actually fix those issues. But instead of wasting all those hours playing a break-even game at best or a losing game, I, I should have focused more efforts on having a verifiably perfect game sooner. I should have, you know, made him deal to me uh, much sooner so that I wasn't wasting all those frustrating hours grinding at the casino, you know, for, for no profits. Um, in, in a similar vein, here's what BJA member Nubs1981 had to say about waiting before getting his game evaluated. Other things I would do differently, uh, I think I would attend a boot camp sooner. Uh, I think you should have some time at the table, uh, red shipping, probably just red shipping. So if you're making mistakes, it's not costing you a ton of money. 
Um, I waited until I had about 250 hours of play before going to the boot camp. And looking back, I think probably around the 100-hour mark is probably when I should have attended the boot camp. This isn't a plug for a blackjack boot camp. Obviously, a boot camp isn't the only way to get your game evaluated. That just happens to be how Nubs got his game sorted out. But regardless, probably the most common mistake I see new card counters make is playing before they're ready, which ultimately puts their bankrolls at a huge risk. Not to mention, you don't want to be getting backed off with a losing game. You, you want you know, backoffs to be a consequence of a really strong winning game. And casinos, they're not smart enough to be like, hey, this guy's a break-even player. Don't back him off, you know? Um, so that's point number one is I wish I would have known that it was worth getting to 100% perfect before putting any hours or bankroll at risk. The second thing I wish I would have known starting out is how to maximize EV. And I mentioned how at the beginning I treated all tables equally regardless of the rules or the number of players at the table. And it wasn't until I got some betting software that I learned, first off, like I said, some of those games were break even at best, while others were actually far more valuable than I gave them credit. And one of the biggest eye openers from betting software and playing around with it was the value of deck penetration. I'm not alone in this. Here again is Nubs 1981. Probably the biggest thing I would do over would be penetration. Uh, the first maybe 500 hours or so of my AP career, I spent playing poor penetration games. And if you look at my charts, it's definitely reflected in my charts. And when I asked BJ member and pro advantage player Just Dan what he'd do over if given the chance, he put Penn at the top of his list. Here's what he had to say. Hey, Colin, this is BGA member Just Dan, a.k.a. Tens and Aces podcast host, Mike. There's a few things that come to my mind right off the bat, like the complete and utter, above anything else, importance of penetration. Because you could find a game that has the most favorable rules and lowest house edge off the top possible. But if the penetration is weak, none of that really matters. Just Dan actually builds on the importance of deck penetration with another crucial playing condition that took me a few years to really value. Here's Just Dan on rounds per hour. Another thing would be rounds per hour and just how key penetration coupled with rounds per hour are for your EV. The importance of these things was made clear to me, not so much by reading it somewhere or hearing it somewhere, but it was when I first bought software and played around with things like rounds per hour, deck penetration, game rule sets, etc., that I finally actually realized, wow, this is really important. I appreciate how Just Dan explains that these factors are compounding. It's kind of like when you get the superstar in Mario Brothers or Mario Kart, you're going faster than normal, your risk goes way down, and your EV goes way up. You're not invincible, but it's the next best thing. I honestly believe I could have made far more money in my card can career if I would have prioritized these two factors from the beginning, deck penetration and rounds per hour. And taking this concept of maximizing EV one step further, here's what my good buddy Joe748 had to say. I would have not tipped when I didn't have a verifiable edge increase. Um, I still regret the times where I've tipped out of fear early on or tipped thinking I was going to get more time when I really had no basis or evidence that that was actually going to work. The third thing I wish I had known from the beginning is that variance is a four-letter word. 
I think I want to do an entire podcast on this topic, but I'll just say that I had no concept of variance when I started. If I had a losing day, I'd lament that I'd even gone to the casinos that day. If I just stayed home today, I'd be $1,000 richer or whatever it was. And on our first blackjack trip, me and our early three-man team, we drove you know, a few hours to a location, split up, and we played all day, maybe six or eight hours each. And at the end of the day, when it was time to head home, we realized we'd broken even for the trip. And I thought, what a waste. We didn't make any money on this trip. Now, that's absolutely ridiculous to think now because you know I've been through multiple losing streaks of over 200 hours. I just didn't realize how much variance was involved in the game at that point. And you know, I expected to make money every day. It also would have made me pay far more attention to N0 and things that affect variance in the long run, like poor deck penetration, poor rules, playing through negative counts, small bet spreads. You know, I actually started caring about N0 when we were running a million dollar blackjack team. And there were a couple of casinos that we would play. We could get a lot of hours in there, but the the rules and deck penetration were so bad that even though the EV was like $200 an hour, it was going to take something like 5,000 hours to be sure to get to the long run. And it was like, we're not going to play 5,000 hours. We're basically gambling at this place in the short term. Let's avoid these really poor quality games and stick to things of higher quality. So if you're new to Card King, first off, be aware of what you're getting yourself into. Even with a perfect game, this is an investment that takes hundreds and hundreds of hours to be guaranteed to pan out. Don't expect to be a winner every day or week or even every month. Secondly, arm yourself to best counteract the variance monster by you know limiting the factors that increase the long run and increase your, your variance. The fourth thing I wish I would have known is that not all backoffs are equal and try to be a step ahead of casinos in the whole cat and mouse game. A really common question I get is, should I give ID or not to the casino? And that kind of shows me that new players don't really understand the level of nuance this topic deserves. Here's million dollar card counter Loudon Often's thoughts on giving ID and backoffs. I think probably the most popular answer is probably along the lines of I wouldn't, um, you know, I would give ID a whole lot less or be willing to give ID a whole lot less. And I think that there, that's true in large part. But I think also that's a lesson that is valuable to, to because I think you kind of have to gauge the line for yourself for giving ID. It seems like some people um, give ID, get lots of comps, and they are able to manage it. And, and they don't really have a giant problem. Other people find that, you know, giving idea, ID sort of um, ruined their day or multiple days, and they would do it a whole lot less. I actually think there's, there's probably a fine line um, that changes from person to person. Um, the good news is I I'm pretty much feel like everybody is still alive in their card counting career, whether you've given ID or not. What David is getting at here is that you really need to think through your goal and what ID will do for you and how it could harm you down the road. So it's not as simple a, of an answer as yes or no. It really is, what is it going to do for you if you give ID? How are you using that to your benefit? And what are the consequences? And are you comfortable with those consequences of giving ID? Building on that idea, here's what Joe748 had to share on the subject. I also would have skipped playing rated at some of the bigger chains in the country. You know, the Penn Nationals, the Caesars Entertainment, unless it's like your home casino and you're kind of doing a long game on them. If you're just kind of traveling 
around the country straight card counting yeah I, I would avoid playing rated at those big places if you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere at a tribal and you know you're not too concerned with databasing and you want to get you know extra comps or free rooms or stuff to help with the expenses then by all means like go for it let me uh, add a personal anecdote that might help i remember being thrilled when i got my first back off i had arrived they were afraid of me but what I wasn't thinking about is that this was a casino that was part of a chain of casinos in my area. There were maybe five casinos within a couple hours of me from the same chain. And this chain was incredibly valuable. They had a bonus opportunity that gave us a huge edge. It wasn't much longer before I was done at all the casinos in that entire chain. And I absolutely would have gone about things differently if I'd known better. I would not have played it the way I did. I would not have given ID the way that I did. And the moral is put some thought and research into where you play rated or unrated. Going along with the theme of backoffs, I wish I also would have been better prepared for how to go about them. Here again is David's thoughts on what he learned about handling a backoff well. The adversarial nature I brought to backoffs, uh, generally, you know, when I was backed off, um, I would either, you know, play confusion, like what's going on or, you know, a little bit adversarial, like, oh, you know, you know, what'd you see? What do you think so special, you know? Uh, and it's, it's more fun to go in a different direction, <laughs> all kinds of different directions. I don't know. You can laugh, you can make a joke. Um, I've lately done, I, uh, I pretend as if, you know, this was something hard they had to do. And so I comfort them. I'm like, it's not your fault. Don't worry about it. Do not worry about this. You know what? I don't want you to worry about this at all. This was not your decision. This came from other people. So just don't worry about it. You're a good person. You know, that along those lines, just, it's almost like I'm entertaining myself at this point. And of course, along with handling backoffs comes dealing with databases, casino databases. Now, if you're an advantage player long enough, you're probably going to get databased. Most of us are, but don't let it happen from your own stupidity like I did. I know I've shared this story before in my book and probably other places, but I got pressured into giving ID when I knew we were getting, you know, heat at a casino and I was only cashing out something like a thousand dollars and they said, oh, we need your ID to cash you out. And, you know, like an idiot, I was like, oh, here you go and handed them my ID. They took it, they copied it and they added me to whatever database it was. Uh, that they added me to. And now I know better than that. When when they said, hey, we need your ID, I'd say, no, no, you don't. It's you know under the $3,000 limit or whatever it was. And if they said, well, then we're not going to cash you out, I'd say, okay, bummer. And I'd, I'd walk out and leave. We could cash out on a different shift. I could get someone else to cash it out for me. But instead, I was an idiot. I just handed them my ID and you know the rest is history. So don't be like me. <laughs> And, you know, think through it a little better and know your rights and don't just uh, give them ID because they say they need it. The next thing I wish I would have known from the beginning is that there's more than one way to skin a casino. Blackjack Hall of Fame member, expert in Gambling with an Edge host Richard Munchkin talks about how players tend to have tunnel vision when they go into a casino. And I was definitely a culprit of this. I overlooked all sorts of advantage play opportunities right in front of me from bonuses, like I mentioned earlier, with edges off the top to comp hustle opportunities to other forms of advantage play. And if I had it to do over, one, I would have kept my eyes open. Two, I would have read way more books. 
Three, I would have networked better. We didn't network really at all because we just thought we knew everything and, and you know, we're full of ourselves. Four, I would have looked to be a more well-rounded advantage player from the get-go. You know, can't can't do it over, but there there was so much opportunity for EV that we walked right past and avoided because we we didn't have our eyes open, we didn't network, and you know, we didn't try to continue to learn early on. And, and that's a, a pretty major regret. That brings me to the next thing pros wish they had known, which is networking. Here's Joe 748 again. I wish I would have spent more time on certain aspects of training, not the, the mechanics and things like that. I did a pretty good job at, but just the, all the stuff that you can't really learn from a training drill or like a video or something like stuff that you can only get from advice from other pros or like, um, yeah, just like tips and tricks, you know, basically a boot camp type situation. I wish I went to like a full boot camp and asked a lot of questions to people who had more experience because they'll save you a ton of time and probably gain you, you know, a lot of EV along the process. And here's what Nubs1981 has to add to this conversation of networking. Uh, I think networking gets overlooked a lot. Um, it's both important for you and, and the other person. Uh, too many young APs I've met over the course of five, six years that uh, either through them failing to network or me failing to network with them, uh, they've gone bust. And you generally don't hear their stories posted in the forum because when people go bust, they don't want to talk about it. But uh, I know I know my fair share of people that went bust, and I think networking or failing to network was one of the key factors there. The next thing I wish I would have thought about from the beginning is how advantage play fits into the bigger picture or even if it fits into the bigger picture. And honestly, this should probably be the first thing that you consider. The reality is that advantage play is not for everyone. And my honest advice is to figure out if it's a good fit for you. And if it is, how? How's it gonna fit into the bigger picture, what your life goals are, uh, things like that. In sharing about why and how advantage play was a good fit for him, Loudon often compared card counting to his last kind of real day job before becoming a full-time card counter for the church team, the team that I co-managed that Loudon often started out on. Here's what he had to say. I was editing um, a really boring trade publication. Um, and the thing about that job is I was a bad manager. Um, I would hide away in my office. I wanted to solve all problems myself and not necessarily work with the team. Um, just basically covering my ass, getting done what was required of me, but not um, not sort of serving the uh, job or the task at hand or the coworkers or the employer. Um, and, you know, just just sort of immaturity um, and unexcitement about the job. So that brings me to card counting. There wasn't a lot about my early career that I regret or would do differently. And coming from that old job where I was a bad manager, bad people person, selfish worker, um, 
card counting gave me the kind of situation where I could change all that. Um, you know, I got to solve problems by myself. I That was the only way to solve problems, you know, when you're on the road, on a trip. Uh, and so that suited me just fine. Um, I was excited about doing this work and I wanted to prove myself. So I was actually, um, I think, doing sort of a good and responsible job of relating to the managers and other people on my team because I really wanted to prove that like I could do this and I could do it better than anyone else. So I was out to um, impress and serve and um, do the best work I could, bring home big profits, things like that. So you know, the point of all that is that, um, yes, there are some things I would do differently, but I'm really proud of going into the adventure and sort of quickly realizing what was going to work for the team and what was going to work for me as far as, um, you know, defeating things like burnout, um, always having a plan B, um, not overhyping my wins and losses, and finding a work arrangement that um, caused me to be sort of always working and not lazy. Um, so I was able to find those things really quickly because I was excited about proving my worth to this team I was on. What I took from David's story is that his editing job was a poor fit, but when he got into card counting, he realized all the things that made him a poor fit for the editing job were the, the exact same reasons that made him a good fit as a full-time advantage player. But for everyone who's a natural fit as a full-time advantage player, there are probably a hundred people who aren't for any number of reasons. And I'll share personally, you know, every week on the Blackjack Apprenticeship YouTube channel, there's some comment asking me the same question of, hey, if card counting works and you're so good at it, why aren't you just doing that? And it's the reality is it's because I decided about a decade ago that it's not a good fit for me right now. When I got into card counting, I had no kids and it was a great fit. But you know, then my wife and I start having kids. We have a one and then two and three and four and the, the trips were getting tougher and tougher to be on. And I felt like after nearly a decade of playing blackjack and running teams, I wasn't really learning new things. So I still did trips. I remember a West Coast trip that uh, we took, you know, my wife Grace and I and our four kids and I played 40 hours of high stakes blackjack between Seattle and San Diego on this road trip. And, you know, Grace is a trooper, but it was obviously not the way we wanted to do things for long. And I had no, I have no regrets looking back at shifting from, you know, full-time playing and running teams to focusing on blackjack apprenticeship so that I could be at home and I could, you know, be there with and for my kids and, you know, feel like I was learning and growing in new skills. Now, that's my story on deciding or figuring out that advantage play wasn't a good fit at a season of my life. But here's Joe 748 on his advice on another cost of being a full-time advantage player. Going into it, I wish I would have known that when you pursue a blackjack or advantage play career, I think most of the times, especially if you're a solo card counter for sure, like it's not going to be, you're going to have a low social deficit most likely in your overall life like you may gain uh, monetary ev and your bank account may grow over time but i think your social interactions are going to shrink as you're playing more and more and you're on the road more often and when you come home like your friends are at their normal work schedules and things like that so i think advantage play Hard counting, like there's a high likelihood that you're going to be alone a lot of the time. So just prepare for that. Um, 
going into it knowing your expectations. Like this job will increase your bank account, but has a likelihood of lowering your social interactions. So if you do decide advantage play is a good fit for you, also ask yourself, how do you balance it with other goals like Joe 748 is talking about? I've always admired how Tommy Highland and Richard Munchkin made sure advantage play fit around their families and their other priorities. And I'm, I'm sure it was attention and there were times they had to decide, you know, how much to work versus how much to be home. And, and, you know, that stuff's not easy, but they made sure that they didn't sacrifice other things that were important to them at the altar of advantage play. And if you decide advantage play is a means to another goal, make sure you keep that in mind so that you can reassess if and when it's no longer a good fit. Just because advantage play makes sense during one season doesn't mean it makes sense forever, like, like in my case, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Whatever, this is my advice, take it or leave it. <laughs> Fast forward, whatever you want. But my advice is know those important big picture goals, what, what you're living for, and make sure that advantage play is helping you get closer to that goal rather than further from it. All right, we've got a couple more here that aren't weren't my ideas, but uh, I think they're worth sharing coming from some of my pro uh, you know, buddies. Here's Justin with another really great point that I didn't think of, but wanted to share with you guys. The number one advice I would love to give my younger self is to be humble. In the past, I myself have had things pointed out from friends of mine and other APs, and I'd be lying if I said that I didn't get defensive or blow them off at least some portion of the time and out of nothing other than foolish pride, not actually hear them and listen to them and be humble has definitely cost me EV over the years. And I really wish I had listened. So quick note to all the younger APs out there just starting out, just be humble. And even more experienced APs like myself, we still need to be humble. I had a recent experience with that where I probably could have been more humble and listen better. Man, if you're not humble getting into advantage play, I guarantee you this game will humble you. This this job or this hobby, it's going to humble you. Not to mention how it's going to serve you working with other advantage players or really in life in general by approaching approaching the tables, approaching relationships with a strong measure of humility. All right, this brings me to the final point which comes from Joe748. Here's what he had to say. Something I wish I would have done if I were to restart blackjack and this has nothing to do with like gaining any more money EV, but I would have written down like all the stories and written down all the weird, funny interactions I've had with casino staff, uh, just to have to kind of go over because once you go around the country, everything sort of becomes a blur and it's hard to remember a lot of these stories. So that's something I wish I had now to just look back on. I know some people get into card counting or advantage play just for the money, but for most of us, it's a combination of the money and the desire to do something exciting, something unique, and live a story worth telling. And I totally agree with Joe here. I wish I'd taken down notes of more of my experiences. I seem to repeat the same couple dozen stories over and over because honestly, those are the ones that stick out and I've probably forgotten three times as many stories as the ones that I you know, think of regularly. And I know this is true because when I hang out with one of my original teammates, Jeff, we get together every couple of weeks and he's always remembering stories that I'd completely forgotten. And so like Joe said, write this stuff down. You'll be able to tell your kids, grandkids, your future friends, uh, you know, other people about the wild or 
just plain odd things that you encounter in this job and in the casinos. All right, that's it. Let me know what I missed. I think there are about nine or 10 things there in that list, uh, you know, post in the forum, things that I should have covered and maybe I can double down and do another version of this. And we're gonna do something special a few days after this podcast comes out. We're gonna have kind of an open discussion in the chat room area of our membership so that we can discuss this and whatever else you guys wanna talk about. So if you have a membership, you could check that out, uh, find out more in the forum. If you don't have access to the forum because you don't have a Blackjack Apprenticeship membership, well, that is your biggest mistake as an advantage player, just kidding, sort of. You know, obviously you don't need a membership to learn, but there's an incredible amount of value from the video course to the training drills, to the betting software, to the casino database, to the members only podcasts, to the forum and chat room where you can network and uh, learn from, share stories with other advantage players. So you can all check all of that out at Blackjack Apprenticeship and we will catch you on the podcast next time.